Hey, this is Jack Russell from Great White, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hi, this is Michael Lardy from Great White, and you're rocking with my friend John Caddick on Iron City Rocks. Hey, this is Mark Kendall from Great White, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Welcome to episode 123 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John. The Iron City Rocks podcast is a podcast devoted to promoting Pittsburgh's rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues music scene. Episode 123, we have the privilege to talk to Great White founding guitarist Mark Kendall. Great White will be in the Pittsburgh metro area on the 23rd of September to do a free concert at the Mount Pleasant Glath and Ethnic Festival. Uh, For those of you not familiar with where Mount Pleasant is, it's probably about 45 minutes south of the city of Pittsburgh. Uh, You can hit uh, I-70 and hit it that way. Uh, going to be a great night, a great white, uh, an incredible catalog of music. Uh, actually, the very first band I saw live, they opened up for White Snake and came out and were the opening band, so I uh, always have a special place in my heart. We've been fortunate enough over the years to have Jack Russell and Michael Lardy of Great White to join the show, so it was really, really cool uh, to get a chance to talk to Mark. Mark has always been kind of a quiet, behind-the-scenes kind of guy with the shades, um, so it was really, really a privilege to talk to him. So we're going to get into that interview. Also coming up in this episode, we have the fourth installment of our producer series. This one is about recording the band. We've uh, focused on the role of our producer, the engineer, what you need to know before you go into the studio. Today we're going to let you know what to do when you get there. So stay tuned for that. But first, we're going to get into... The interview with Mark Kendall of Great White, but we're going to lead you into that with a live recording of Rock Me. I see you many 
to get the opportunity to talk to you because you've always been a bit of a man of mystery. Uh, uh, you were actually one of the first bands I ever saw live, and I remember you had the, the black hat and the sunglasses and the blonde hair hanging down, and it was always like, that guy's really cool, and it was, it's great to get a chance to talk to you in person. Well, thank you. Thanks. It's uh, good to be on the show. Great. Uh, I wanted to talk. You have a, a very rich family history in music. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you, your upbringing and that musical influence on you? Sure. Um, yeah, my my dad was well. For one thing, my my grandpa was uh, he kind of played he played piano in like you know like the vaudeville kind of days you know where they had showgirls yeah. dancing. He was kind of a ragtime uh, you know really accomplished um, piano player, and he actually played in Carnegie Hall when he was like thirteen or something. He was like oh, really wow. a major. Uh, I mean, he was just amazing, and right down to his last days, I mean, every time, you know, my parents and, and they would bring us over there, even when he was on, like, a breather and stuff, he'd always play for me and stuff, so it was it was pretty amazing influence on me, and uh, my dad was a jazz trumpet player, and he actually, at one point, I, I, I was really young, but he he jammed with Louis Belson before, wow. and... Um, Louis Belson and Pearl Bailey uh, actually played Pinochle at our house with my mom and dad when I was really little. And, of course, I didn't know who these people were, but she she was already, I guess, a pretty well-known singer. Yeah. So, And my mom was kind of a jazz singer that would sing like when my dad would jam, they would do these like jams in L.A., I guess, um, after hours and stuff like that. Yeah. And my mom was kind of like the intermission singer, you know, she would she would sit in with the piano player and sing. So, you know, you could say that the 
you know, music was kind of bled into me. So when I was really young, I was always around music. They always had music going, you know. Yeah. And I I seemed to kind of pick up on melodies right away. You know, I, I kind of remember old songs like Girl from Ipanema and stuff, and I'd sit and rock back and forth and sing along, you know. Sure. So um, then when I was really young, I just, uh, there was a, there was actually a, a band that used to rehearse across the street, and I was just fascinated watching these guys. I remember the bass player was, like, playing with his teeth, <laughs> you know? And I, I just, like, I go, man, I, I, I need to get a guitar. This is just too much, you know? And I picked up on it. My dad got me a little crummy uh, acoustic kind of get, uh, Spanish guitar, you know? Yeah, just to see if I'm interested, you know, see how, how far I'd go. And I... I wouldn't put the thing down. I had neighbors showing me chords, and you know, and I was picking up on it pretty quickly. So uh, that's that's the way I got started. But it was really a big influence on me. My my parents, they, I had a really good sense of melody, and my at a young age, and my dad, you know, and I didn't even know this was that cool until much later in life. But uh, he used to call out notes when my mom would hit notes on a piano from like the other room. Oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's pretty hard to do, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because, oh, let's hit the black keys. That, that'll that make it tough on them. <laughs> now, what I, I noticed, listening to your playing through the years, your style has um, uh, gotten almost, I would say, bluesier as it, it's gone on. Um, were there a particular time in which you got into the blues, or is that something you've always been into, and it's just as you're getting a little bit older in the band, it's more stuff that you can kind of let that let that side of you out? Well, um, you know, when I was really young, I was really into, like, ZZ Top and, and, you know, like, when I was, like, 15 years old. Not really young, because when I was, like, 14 years old, I was in a band that only played Santana. (laughs) You know, so, um, but, no, I've I've always been into, you know, guys like Billy Gibbons and stuff, you know. Um, Just at the very early stages of our writing, for some reason, we were, like, we were like Judas Priest or something, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I don't know what that was. You know, I was just, you know, it was kind of what was happening at the time, I guess. Like, not too many people knew about Judas Priest, and it, it was kind of a little bit of an influence. And I, even when I was a young teenager, I, I remember learning, like, every song off Black Sabbath 4, you know what I mean? So yeah. there was a little bit of that element, you know, to my influence, but uh, mostly I was into... You know, the field players, you know, like the Carlos Santana, the uh, Billy Gibbons, um, Alvin Lee, you know, yeah. Yeah. Clapton, and that, that, that type thing. And you kind of hit the, the nail on the, on the head with my next question. was The sound of the band, especially I would say between Shot in the Dark and One Fitness, really evolved. I mean, you guys were pretty much a straight-up metal band. And I, right. I would consider you anything but a metal band, and that's not disrespect, but you do have more of a of a classic rock sound, um, right? You know Zeppelin, and you mentioned Billy Gibbons, which is is great to hear people acknowledge Billy Gibbons. But I think he often gets overlooked when people kind of cite influence. Um, right. I finally got to actually meet the guy, which was amazing. But you know what really happened was it, the way we were able to change and evolve, and more of our influences showed up more was when we added a guitar player keyboard. Because yeah, um, before that, we were just a trio with the lead singer, 
which kind of uh, limits you a little bit. I mean, obviously Van Halen, look at them. I mean, they're just, you know, what they are. But um, for some reason, that my more my blues style started started coming out more. My influence, start, you know, started coming out more for some yeah. reason when we added that. Yeah, and to the band's credit, I think it it added to the staying power of Great White because I mean there were. I think so. Uh, There's a few people that say, "Hey, man, what happened to Stick? Yeah, you guys used to be heavy, <laughs> you know." There's yeah. a select few that complain a little bit, but you know we even add that in the set. We, we'll play something from way early, but um, you know I think you know we were so young and 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 it was just you know like I said a really early part of our writing and and finally you know. You learn and and you start your influences. The more you write songs, the more your influences show up. And yeah, and yeah, like you said, it turned into more of a, a classic rock thing. And you know, you get better too. You know, you, you get yeah. better with your writing and whatnot. I was listening to some of the solos on the Rising today, and some of those I would say are your most. You know, these were like tasteful, but I mean, that really they are. I mean, they fit the song very well. They're not just an explosion of notes and hammer on. Like that. Right, which which is is also great too. But you know, I've always I'm going like, you know, if a singer gets to sing all these really cool melodies, why can't I? Why can't I yeah. put a you know with my guitar do that? You know, because I, I always like to kind of play a song within a song and just be more tasteful, but also have a little bit of the the flash element too. You know, like sure. yeah, it's good to have that here when you want it, but it's good to know when to use it and when not. Well, you know, I mean, when you when you think of songs like like Stairway to Heaven, I mean, you can literally hum the lead to yourself in your head. I mean, and there's got to be something to say about that, you know. Uh, yeah. You know, when when a guitar player that that always kind of I, I was always fascinated by really tasteful, like a, it's almost like a song within a song. You know what I mean? Like, um, j- just coming up with a beautiful solo over over changes. You know, it's. Uh, it's challenging and it's it, it's uh, fun, you know, to w- when you can come up with something good, you know. Absolutely. Now, what um, I've I've seen some pictures of you live recently with Stratocaster and stuff. But do you have a kind of a primary guitar of choice now? In your um, yeah, you know, I've always, you know, about well, actually, I used to be really into Telecasters. Mm-hmm. I um. You know, over the years, I mean, I've gone through the you know the endorsement guitars like the. Kramer years with Buddy Blaze when he built the guitars and then when he quit building them he kind of left the company and they I, I just think the quality kind of went down a little bit yeah so I just you know every every time that would happen like when I wasn't happy I I would just go back to the Fenders you know until until somebody else came up came to me with something you know good and um, I actually recently found a guitar maker. Um, in Syracuse, New York, his name's Dan Deshaw, and you know we email a friend of mine told me about him. He's kind of an independent guitar maker that really doesn't, um, you know, there's not too many people that know about it. I mean, I think the guy from Stevie Wonder plays one, and you know, people are starting to discover it. But he he really makes uh, great instruments, and you know, I just talked to, to him about things that bothered me about like strat, you know, the thing. I love about Stratocasters is they're real musical. You know what I mean? You can hear the notes you're playing, even in a distorted format. And 
and I love that, but there's one thing that always bothered me. They always sounded a little too shrill and trebly in the high register stuff. So I wanted to fix that, and the way I did it was I I hand-wound the pickups. It, it took almost a month to get it right, and once I did it, it fattened up that high, the real high register stuff. Yeah. So um, that made me uh, really love it. So I got this guitar maker to do that, um, you know, use that the pickup, and just talk to him about all the little nuances that bothered me, and he was able to come up with something for me. So I've been playing these, uh, you know, just this independent guitar maker guy's guitars lately. Oh, that's awesome. And still have all my other stuff, you know, in the, in the, that I use in the studio, you know, um, strats and, and uh, tellies and stuff like that, you know. Stuff you don't want to take out on the road and ruin. Yeah, you um, really don't want to go trash your 57 <laughs> Strat- yeah. Strat- Stratocaster, you know. But, uh, but the, you know, these things really hold up. Uh, these Deshaw guitars that I've been playing, they're, they're really consistent, you know, nothing breaks. Uh, you know, I just, you know, they're really good road-worthy uh, guitars. Now, um, I know you guys have been on the road now with Terry for a little while. Terry, the former singer of XYZ, and, um, you know, that's been pretty yeah. well documented, and there's plenty of YouTube clips uh, if anybody wants to doubt his ability to sing. Um, could you give us just a little update on what's going on with Jack? I know he's, he's had sure. with perforated bowel. Um, any word yeah. on Yeah. Yeah, he's really been through the ringer um, with his health. And, uh, uh, you know, it's just a very slow process on him getting uh, uh, back, you know. And uh, just kind of praying for the guy, you know. Um, I talked to him a lot. uh you know, it's just he doesn't want to come back all in the stool and all that kind of stuff. You know, so we're just uh, we're just hoping, you know, just praying for him to get better. He's working with the trainers. He's trying to get stronger. So, you know, hopefully he, he gets it back going. You know. Yeah, it's it's important to get deep when people think, oh, you know, he just had some surgery. But when you consider the fact that the man is the singer and his body is the instrument, you know, it's not like. Uh, you know, right, it, his voice is fine. Yeah, you need you need the the support of your body too, you know, mm-hmm. and um, so that's just you know, he's just uh, really struggling, but he's 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 getting a little better, you know. His spirits are good, you know. We're encouraging his his uh, recovery, and uh, yeah, well, but in the meantime, uh, you're talking about Terry. Uh, yeah, I. I am floored by this guy's talent. He he's got uh man, he is really something. I mean, he not only just kills the songs, but he kind of brings his own thing into it, you know, and he he really knows how to jam, you know, and I love that, you know. I've always and I was talking to my wife about this, it, you know, it's funny cuz somebody, you know how you meet people on Facebook from like 20 years ago and, you know. Yeah. But when I was like a teenager, I used to jam, and I didn't even have a singer. We would go play like at parties. I'd play like for seven hours, you know, and and just jam on Trower and and whatever, and just play lead for hours and hours, you know. And it, it was just fun because you know it, it kind of I developed a little bit from that, you know, jamming with the drummer, and you know, you just 
get the feel of all that. And, and Terry kind of brings that into it, you know, he will just go off into something, you know, that's not planned or anything, you know, and it's it's kind of cool. He it, It's fun, you know. Yeah, that was fascinating. Now, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you. I mean, you guys had had Janie Lane fill in for a period of time uh, before Terry. Uh, do you want to touch on any of those memories with, with uh, Janie? Sure. Um, yeah, you know, I... I uh, our manager managed uh Warren at one time and then he, and then then managed just Janie Lane only and he had suggested him and I wasn't you know it, it was like uh six and a half a dozen I mean I you know part of me said well okay you know I'll try it and part of me said I don't know I mean what are people going to think about this you know but um believe it or not uh, he he was he came in so prepared and he was so pro. I it, I was really really amazed and I guess his wife was some really big great wife fan and so if like if he messed up a little bit or didn't get something <laughs> you know quite right she would say oh no it goes like this you know yeah so it just tortured him with great white and I guess he just for a couple weeks just had great white running all the time and you know, tape players or whatever and cars, wherever he went. So when he came in, we rehearsed with him a couple times and, uh, he was super prepared. Um, he did a really good job live. Uh, people were saying that they hadn't heard him sing that well in 20 years and he hadn't seen him look that good in 20 years. And, uh, you know, he was really together, you know, with the sobriety and everything. And I'm actually, a recovering addict myself, so we bonded right away, you know. <laughs> like I said, we did a little tribute for him the other night. You know, we didn't bond because we're both bitching rock stars, it's because we're both alcoholics, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, so I kind of got with him a little bit, to, wanted to kind of support support his his sobriety because I get, you know, he really, I guess, went off pretty good when when he would drink and stuff. Yeah. So I um, I sent him prayers daily and stuff like that and talked to him. And I, I remember one time in an airport, he, he looked so good sitting next to his wife. I, the sun was shining, you know, and I'm just going, dude, I go, the fans are saying they haven't seen you look at this good in 20 years. They're saying you haven't sang this good in 20 years, and the sun is shining. What could be better? <laughs> you know what I mean? Amen just trying to, to trying to encourage him, you know. Yeah. And uh, so it was really unfortunate, you know, that the the demons overcame him. But, um, you know, I really feel bad for his family and, it, and all that. Yeah. Uh, it, it was, you know, great that he got a, an opportunity to get up there and, and kind of work with you guys. Yeah. Yeah, he, he really enjoyed it. I mean, he wanted to get onto his solo album and stuff like that but uh he finished out his obligations he was totally professional and uh you know so he he definitely went out with some integrity with the fans and you know yeah well it's, well, it's great to hear now um for those not aware you are um you guys are going to come into the pittsburgh area in mount pleasant to, to do the uh, glass and ethnic festival on the 23rd um you guys yeah that out there. It's actually free admission, so if uh, you're hearing the sound of my voice, uh, you're, you're driving distance, I imagine, you know, it should be a great time. I know 
I, I yeah, that's going to be great. I look forward to it. I, at one point, I think I had calculated that you might have been the band I've seen the most live because it seemed like every show I went to, you were either co-headlining with one band or you were opening for you know, the Scorpions or White Snake. And right. So, these are kind of the fabric of my idea of live music is great white. So. Yeah, I remember well, Jack, Jack walking on a stage and saying, my name is Jack Russell, and this is great white. And that being one of my first memories of a concert, so it's it great. Right on. Yeah, I I have uh, really fond memories of all our East Coast uh, runs with all those bands, you know. And yeah. and, and all those bands, I mean, we really learned a lot from, you know, not you know not so much musically or you know that too but but the way they treated us we treated us so well you know you know like with the scorpions i mean their attitude was like they wanted the whole night to rock and be good you know what i mean yeah and and you know to where there's been a couple artists i'm not going to mention anybody but you know that would do things to the PA and make our lights not so yeah. good, <laughs> you know, all that yeah. stuff, you know. But, you know, where you really wouldn't figure because they're such big bands. But um, but I really like the attitude of most of the bands like Judas Priest, uh, Scorpions, you know, White Snake. All, all of them really treated us well. And so it it gave us the incentive, incentive to uh, treat our opening acts really well, too. I, I remember the guitar player for... Uh, um, what's his name? Um, Rudolph, Rudolph Schenker, and Schenker, Rudolph yeah. Schenker, yeah, Rudolph yeah. Schenker, came up to me and I, I kind of had a, you know, kind of a subpar show, you know, my energy wasn't that good, and he, he comes up to me after the show, he goes, Mark, that's no good, man. He goes, you need to rock hard, man. <laughs> He's telling me I should just be better. I go, dude, I'm sorry. I, you know, I'm just, I was just beat tonight. I, I, I can't believe it was that obvious to where you noticed it, you know. I go, okay, I promise. And from then on, I, you know, really went after it. But this yeah, one time, I, I just kind of didn't have that good of a show. And he's like, you need to rock hard, man. You need to kick ass and all yeah. this shit. So There's it was, like, really cool, you know. Like how they go to 100 mile an hour at all times. Well, Mark, I want to thank you so much for the opportunity uh, for you taking the time to come on the show. Again, the, the show is uh, September 23rd in Mount Pleasant. Uh, it's been great talking with you, man. Well, th- thanks, John. I always wanted to learn to play guitar, but never had the time. Then I heard about Progressions Music Studio. Progressions introduced me to an entirely new and convenient method of music instruction. They brought the music to me. The instructors from Progressions Music Studio came to my home with their knowledge and expertise, which saved me time and money. They worked around my schedule and tailored a program around my needs and skill level. Best of all, I learned to play music like a guitar king of the 1960s. We didn't spend all of our time with drills or tunes from the 1860s. Progressions Music Studio offers a lot more than guitar. In fact, they have instructors for almost all instruments. Now I can rock it out on my electric like never before. Just imagine what they can do for you or the budding musician in your family. Don't make excuses, make music. Check them out on the web at progressionsmusicstudio.com. That's P-R-O-G-R-E-S-S-I-O-N-S, musicstudio.com. Or call 724-777-4678. All right, a special thank you to Mark Kendall for coming on the show. It was really great to have a chance to talk to him. Uh, I think a very highly overrated guitarist because he's always been kind of a quiet guy. So I want to thank Melissa for helping us get that interview uh, and uh, Great White and also uh, the town of Mount Pleasant for 
bringing uh, such a quality act to the area to do a free show. So again, Mount Pleasant Friday, September 23rd, Great White for free. So without further ado, we're going to get into more of Aaron and Tony's producer series, Tony of Total Music and Entertainment. Uh, you can find them on the internet at tmentertainment.com. I'm going to talk to you about what your band needs to do once you're in the studio. It's time to hit the uh, red button and record. What do you do other than sweat? So, I'm going to get into that interview now. Ladies and gentlemen, we would like to welcome back to our show, Tony Maranaki of Total Music and Entertainment. How are you doing today, Tony? I'm doing good. How are you, Aaron? Great, great. I'm looking forward to continuing our talk here um, about the various... Um, well, subjects, I guess, that we've come up with as far as mixing, mastering, those sort of things. Sounds great. Um, before we get started, though, could you tell us a little bit more about your company, Total Music and Entertainment, and tell our listeners where they can find out more information about that? Sure. You can visit us right on the web at www.tmentertainment.com, and uh, that will take you to the main site. <clears throat> it will pretty much explain our uh, live services, uh, major concerts, things like that. For those who like music, you can go to music.tmentertainment.com, and there you'll find a lot of great artists, a lot of great songs. We've got uh, over 40 songwriters, about 12 artists, 150 songs. Uh, a lot of people from the local Pittsburgh area might recognize some, and a couple national ones, too, as well. Now, on that section, the music.tmentertainment.com, is that, um, is, is that kind of like your record label brand, yeah. or...? Yeah, it, I mean, it is a record label for all intents and purposes. Really what it is is um, we have a publishing company, and we help uh, our songwriters who are you know talented enough to actually be an artist and stuff uh, release their stuff. Uh, EPs and um, singles uh, were accepted on iTunes, and um, it just really helps them uh, uh, create another avenue to generate income. Oh, that's fantastic. That is really fantastic. All right, Tony, so let's get back into our topics here today. Uh, first up, I want to talk about, more, more, well, I guess more about the recording process. Um, recording a live band, like a full band, versus individual musicians. Uh, so what are your thoughts about you know, doing the whole live band in a room versus individually tracking each instrument? Well, um, you know, basically, <clears throat> I would say the difference would be uh, – you know what you're looking for as far as a finished product so if you guys are demoing uh, a song you know it, it doesn't really hurt to get everybody uh, lined up in a room uh, there are studios in town that would allow you to uh, set up as a band and be isolated from each other but still have complete eye contact with each other and uh, if you're looking to create a really finished product um, isolation is the best. Uh, there isn't a professional outfit in the land that doesn't record one track at a time, drums and bass, guitar, vocals. Um, that's just to help you achieve clarity. And um, oh, I'm sorry, I got off, uh, got off track there, man. <laughs> Let's hold right. for editing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here, I'll finish this up. Okay. So it's it's really on you know how clear you want your recording to sound, or um, you know how good you want the end product to be. Okay, so let's talk more about isolation then. So what you're saying is that um, the myth that I'm sure a lot of us have in their heads of you go in, you record just drums, and then the guitar player comes in does his part, and then the vocals comes in does their part, 
you're saying that a lot of studios will have isolation and try to do it live as possible? That is possible. Um, Again, it all uh, depends on the um, situation and what you're trying to do uh, with the finished recording. There are studios in town and, you know, all over the country, really, that will allow a band, the drummer, to set up in a room, everybody else to set up in a separate room, and there'll be a bunch of glass, and you'll be able to make eye contact with, with each other, just like you would be if you were in the same room. But really... You can do that uh, if you're trying to make a finished product to a commercial CD or song. <clears throat> but, you know, uh, there's certain procedures you've got to re- follow uh, regardless of what you're um, trying to do, really. Uh, you want it to be as clean as possible. You don't want drums, which is the loudest instrument, to bleed into a guitar mic, a lead vocals uh, mic. That'll just make the editing process very, very hard. Another good tip is, you know, it's not a bad idea to play with a click track and learn the actual tempo of your song. A lot of people think that'll make you sound like a computer, and that's not so. A lot of people feel intimidated to play with a click track, but really what that does is it helps in the process of editing. It'll save the band a tremendous amount of money. If you don't have to sit there and figure out where the part starts, you can just go to this measure or that measure because you know the tempo of your song. But when an engineer has to go in there with no markers, no tempo or anything, and look for the part, it certainly can be done if the engineer's uh, worth anything. But the time involved to do that increases. So I advise anybody uh, listening, if they're going to make a good home recording that they plan on selling, to isolate each instrument as much as possible even if that means recording one instrument at a time, because you're trying to get, again, like I said, the cleanest uh, recording as humanly possible. And if you play with a click track, that will allow you to establish a song tempo, and it will help in your your editing cost, uh, whether you're doing the editing at home or paying an engineer or somebody else to do the editing. Now, we learned in our previous segment that um, your career has spanned from the analog recording days now into the digital recording days. And you mentioned click track. So is the click track something that has come up more since we switched to digital recording, or is that something that was also prevalent back in analog, but maybe we just weren't as aware of that part of it? Yeah, it's always been around. A click track has always been a part of the uh, recording process and the professional environment. Um, even back in the day when you didn't have a computer screen and, uh, you know, where your actual tempo would help you in the editing process, you wanted it to be in time. And um, I've worked with incredible musicians, uh, some would say uh, at or near the top of their profession, and I've never heard one person be able to keep perfect time. I can't do it. I don't know anybody who can. So you need the click track uh, to keep everything End time. That's really fascinating. I honestly didn't realize that the click track was as prevalent in the analog days as it is in the digital days. Because I understand the benefits now in the digital days, but I really didn't think about the whole tempo thing back in the analog days. Sure, you want it to be perfect. Now let's talk more about this isolation here. So, um, like when, when my band back in the day, we went to a project studio. There was basically a guy's house. 
and he put up big barriers. So we were all kind of in the same room at the time, but he would put like a wall in front of the guitar amp. Um, it was to kind of like, like a, I guess a movable wall to kind of try and keep, um, I guess try and get, try and keep bleed out of those mics and and same with the the drum overhead mics and he did a really good job of it. Listen to the individual tracks. I didn't hear like a lot of bleed over from any of those. Um, are there some things you would recommend for doing that sort of thing, or, or is there any anything you recommend to to do isolation, like heavy blankets or building a portable wall or something? Yeah, those those things are are uh, they work just as well. Uh, mover. Uh, Movers, uh, blankets, uh, or um, drop cloths, or whatever; th- those things work great. Um, there's nothing wrong with maybe setting your amp up in a corner and isolating that off with a uh, you know blanket or a wall. You want to use something that has cloth, maybe something that's like a, a blanket folded over something, because those dual layers will help eliminate the sound as it passes through. And that way you can still record your drums and things like that. Uh, and the rest of the band is in the same room looking at each other. You have kind of like that live feel. But it's always good to break away from that because as you become more professional, uh, I'm sorry, maybe that wasn't the right term. As you get more advanced in your career, you might not be in the same room as some of the people that you're recording with. You might not even be in the same state or the same country. So if you are dependent upon having other people there, uh, that's really not a good way to advance your career because you sooner or later are going to have to learn to play with people that aren't in the room. Okay, so possibly then, like, um, I guess the old school days of sitting along, sitting down, playing with recording to learn the song could really help you as far as building a maybe a studio career, session career. Yeah, correct. Kind of sticking with this whole like, like acoustic isolation thing, you 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 breached a topic with me that I I've really had a lot of questions about, but don't give enough thought to. So let's talk about like live rooms. What makes a good live room for tracking? Well, good live room for tracking um, in my home studio here. It's pretty much uh, you know in my basement. I live in Pittsburgh, so everybody has a basement, and um, my studio is in my basement. So uh, I have certain areas uh, that I record vocals in. It's a corner area that have uh, walls, just like regular exposed uh, drywall. So if I have a softer singer here, uh, their voice will project into the mic and not get muffled. Uh, If I have somebody that's like a screamer or a good rock and roll guy, we'll probably put up blankets on the walls so the sound doesn't bounce off of the uh, wall and into the mic. You can stand there all day with your ear and listen, but you will never hear what the microphone hears. And that really goes back to the, the, uh, the isolation theory. And the more you have things isolated off from other stuff, the cleaner that signal will be. So, uh, you know, if you have a vocalist and you're hearing stuff through your headphones and go, boy, his vocals just sound too live, man, just sometimes putting up a blanket up on a wall uh, a cloth picture or something will actually take those uh, those sound vibrations that are bouncing off the wall and going into the mic, and you can usually uh, eliminate that. Now, why is that about the microphones? Why will the microphone pick up things that I can't hear? 
Well, it's, it's, a, it's an electronic device. Um, the human ear is only capable of hearing uh, so much. Um, you can only basically hear up to 120 decibels before you start to go deaf. You can pretty much hear down to you know, 20 dB whisper. You can't really hear lower than that. Uh, the human ear can only perceive from 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz if you're looking at an EQ. Anything over that, you can't hear. A dog might, but you won't. So the human ear is limited. And depending on the angle that you're at, we also have two ears. And if you're singing into one mic, um, the other ear is actually hearing other parts of the room and stuff. So you're trying to listen real carefully but your other ear is picking up, you know, other noises. If you try to, you know, plug your ear up with one finger, it's an unnatural process. The brain can't really uh, handle that, you know. So the microphone has uh, certain elements to it that make it super sensitive to uh, vibration and things like that. When you say hear, you're thinking, you know, sound, but sound is actually sound pressure. It's actually waves. And how those waves are picked up from the mic is how it's uh, determined to be sound. And so if it's, a, you know, if it's a high sound, some microphones might eliminate certain things. It might pick up certain things. If it's a low sound, you know, the same thing. Uh, whereas the human ear, you know, you're kind of processing it through your brain. A microphone doesn't really have a brain. It only can record what's uh, sent to it. That is really clearing up a lot of, a lot of things for me. Lot, that's, good cause, that's good because I wasn't sure if I was really making sense. <laughs> no, no, it's making total sense because that's starting to explain now like why, for example, I get a different sound out of my SM57 than I do out of my, um, my Audio-Technica, I think it's a 2020 or 2040, one of those, my, my condenser mic. Oh, yeah, sure, and, big time. And that, that's boy, that just cleared a lot of stuff up. Well, you know, one of the biggest differences there, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to step on you, but... No, it's okay. Using like an SM57 on a guitar, or SM58 for vocals, as opposed to a condenser mic. A condenser mic has certain things in there that make it more sensitive than a regular microphone. That's why you have to run like phantom power to a condenser mic because there's a little battery in there. And that powers like a little preamp inside the mic. So a condenser mic is super sensitive, A, because of what it's made out of, and B, because it has like a little preamp in there. That, that's just, again, just cleared up so much for me. Cleared up cool. so much there. Now, one last thing, I guess, on the recording process here. Um, <clears throat> what about... Um, I guess, how do you feel about, like, these acoustic treatments that you can buy? Like, where I know you can throw up, like, different foam to kind of change the shape of your room and change your corners or, and, like, the different bass traps and things that you hear. What, how do you feel about those sort of things? Well, I like them. Some of them can be kind of expensive, and some people just think, well, I'll buy this and this will help. I would say experiment first, really. Uh, have a friend take, like, a, um, a regular bath towel, say, and you can listen in your room and find the spot that you listen to most often and have your friend go around the room with this here bath towel. Put it up in the corner, put it up over open spaces on walls, and if you can hear things change, then you might know, well, I have to fix that 
sometimes you want that reflectiveness uh, of the sound, so you won't want that to be totally dead. But corners, corners are areas where your bass can sometimes get trapped. Bass moves slower than treble, and it's real lethargic-like, and sometimes it can get hung up in areas in your room. A bath towel would keep it from going there. It wouldn't reflect it, but it would keep the bass from flooding into that area and not into other areas of the room. Ah, okay. All right, so I guess I do still have one, one other question. Then. So sometimes, like when I record this podcast, I sit down to do some of my speaking parts. I will notice I will kind of have um, like, like a lot of high frequencies. Uh, it's almost sounds like, like a reflective frequency. You know, like if, you, if you're speaking up against, against a piece of sheet metal, mm-hmm. typically like I have, my, I have a USB condenser that I use and I'm facing my computer screen. Now, I've tried to put a pillow behind there sometimes, and I think that improves the sound. What, what kind of tips could you give me on that sort of thing? Well, you know, um, since you said you used a um, condenser mic, that already uh, helps me right there. Your voice is, is a high-pitched, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to carry. Okay. You know, um, where you get like somebody, uh, there's a local DJ in town, Sean McDowell, he has a real low voice, Sean McDowell. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so those lower voices, again, the lower frequencies move slower, so you don't really hear them being reflected off of walls. If you go into DV's studio, you'd be surprised of how much it's not insulated. I mean, it, it certainly is. It's a professional radio station and, and made for eliminating reflective noises. But in your case... A blanket, uh, a, have you ever seen a mover's uh, cloth where they wrap things up, you know, like moving yeah. companies and stuff? That's the best yeah. material because it's made out of multi-layered things. And if you drape it over something and create multiple layers of that, you'll eliminate this, the reflective noises um, coming back uh, a lot. Uh, I'm sorry, another issue with uh, a higher frequency, and again, your voice is up there a little bit, is sound coming off the ceiling. You wouldn't think about that, but that sound would come off the ceiling as well. So if you actually sat in the middle of your room and isolated that mic in a semicircle fashion, you would find it to be more... um, uh, It would defeat the reflectiveness of the room more. Okay. I honestly never thought about any of that. I'm going to try that next time I sit down to record. (laughs) There you go. That's awesome. Do you have any rug on the on the floor too? Oh yeah, yeah. There's a rug on it. Yeah, well that'll help too as well. All right, fantastic. Five finger death punch. Share the wealth tour. Friday, November 25th, 6.30 Doors, Stage AE, with special guests, All That Remains, plus Hate Breed and Rev Theory. Tickets on sale Saturday, September 17th, 10 a.m. at all Ticketmaster outlets. Call 800-745-3000 or Ticketmaster.com. More info at PromoWestLive.com. All right, a thanks goes out again to Tony of TotalMusicAndEntertainment.com and also Aaron for doing such a great job banging that out and educating us on what goes on behind the scenes in the studio. I think even for a person who's not a recording musician, still uh, can find some interest in that. How is the magic uh, accomplished in the studio? So we hope you enjoy that. We would appreciate your feedback. As always, at ironcityrocks.com, you can click on the contact link. You can hit us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash ironcityrocks.com, facebook.com 
forward slash Iron City Rocks, and we're on iTunes and YouTube as well. Uh, speaking of iTunes especially, we are continuing to run a contest in the month of September. We are giving away a autographed Nick Catney's fan pack to kind of correspond with episode 122, which featured Black Label Society guitarist Nick Catney's giving away an autographed 8x10, some guitar picks, and some other goodies. So to enter, you can do one of several things. You can go to Twitter, uh, mention us in a tweet. That's at Iron City Rocks, no spaces, no dashes. You can tag us on Facebook. That is not right on our wall, but actually right on your wall using the at symbol and then typing Iron City Rocks and picking us from the dropdown. You can enter at our website, ironcityrocks.com forward slash contests. There's a link you can fill out and give us all your information. Or the best chance to win, go to iTunes, search for ironcityrocks.com, write us a review, send us an email, let us know you did it, you will triple your chance to win. Think of it as entering three times for one person, and there is only one entry per person. So those of you who enter via iTunes have a uh, 66% chance of winning better. So we wish you well. Again, that enter, that ends on the 30th of September, one entry per household. All right, thank you until next time. Yeah.